0: Good morning, happy Easter. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Marcella, for reading for us today. Uh, it was funny, I was getting ready today on Easter morning and I had some things laid out on the table. I had my Bible there, had some notes. We were printing off some things. And, you know, it's Easter morning, we expect some new people, expect this is, you know, it's a big deal in the life of the church. And uh, I opened my Bible and I'm looking there, and my wife was standing over the table and she said, Do you have a good message this morning? I kind of looked at her like, I I think so, yeah. And "And then she said, how many Star Wars references are there? (laughs) So uh, before we begin, if you're a fan of Star Wars, I'm sorry there's not more references. If you're not a fan of Star Wars, I promise there's not too many. (laughs) So would you uh, bow and pray with me and for me as we begin to open the Word of God. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for an empty tomb for Easter Sunday. Lord, we pray for open hearts to receive your word. Lord, let this not be now of me, but of you. Speak the things that you want to speak into our hearts. Fill this place with your glory and your love. Yes. We lift these things up and pray in your name, Jesus. And every heart said, Amen. Amen. Well, I had um, some some plans to talk about some current events and things to, to make a point. In, and I, I obviously had no idea that we were going to hear about some of the tragedies going on in Sri Lanka, and uh, when uh, Pastor Gary shared with me the story, I got to look at some of the news findings and some of the things this morning. And it's you know it's it's all over the news. But um, this week I was thinking about the gospel. You know, when we talk about the gospel, we talk about there's four gospels or, or accounts of what Jesus did. And and gospel what, re- what it really means is good news. It means reportage. It's something being said that's good, and I don't know about you, but would you just, in your head, think about this? How many of you have stopped watching the news? I said in your head, but everybody's hand goes up. <laughs> I didn't mean to single anybody out, but I'll raise my hand. I stopped, I stopped watching the news. Do you know why? Everybody's got their own reasons. Maybe it's, maybe it's political, or maybe it's this, but for, I think, a lot of people, you stop watching the news because you get headlines like this. this is, these are some of the headlines that um, I looked at this week. Argument outside restaurant turned into a drive-by shooting. A dispute about a blocked driveway and a tractor end in gunfire. Man accused of fatal coffee mug blow ruled incompetent to stand tribal trial. Family of eight-year-old boy who drowned in pool has now sued the city. Suspect arrested in deadly carjacking. Man wanted for murder arrested while trying to cross the Canadian border. Police investigate shooting in the teen of South Park area. What an Olympic medalist homeless in the city wants you to know. Carjacking victim found dead in the, does this sound familiar? How far back do you think I went to find these headlines? How wide do you think I went to find these headlines? This is the Tacoma Tribune on Tuesday. That's, that's one day. I didn't even go to the news stations. Do you know why? Because it's so normal. And that's why I stopped watching, because you get kind of depressed, right? And I can read these headlines, and probably most of you are like, yeah. There's probably not one story that I can say here that would pique your attention enough to say I need to go on my phone. I need to figure out what's going on there because we don't want to, because it's also normal, right? It's normal. If I if I came to you and said tomorrow that there was going to be a shooting out in the city and a couple drug dealers were going to get shot, and maybe there's a police fire, would anybody be surprised? No. no, you wouldn't be. It's normal. You know, in the, in the movie The Dark Knight, there's a scene where the Joker comes and he's, he's talking to one of the characters and he's talking to him and he makes this analogy. He says, you know, if I came to you and told you tomorrow that some, you know, gangbangers are going to get into a fight and, and people are dying or some, some busload of soldiers are going to die in Iraq," He said, no, nobody would bat an eye. It, nobody would panic. Why? Because it's all part of the plan." Our news has become such that we look at things and we just said, that's just part of the plan. It's part of what we accept as normal in the world. It's part of what we accept as, this is just the way we are. It's just the way humanity is. It's just the way the world works. We're we're saddened, but we're not surprised at what happened today. It's incredibly sad. But I don't know how many people are truly surprised. And we go about this thinking we can just turn off the news, we can just start ignoring it. But we come to a place where we all recognize one thing. It's silent, it's in the back of our head, it's, it's not active all the time, but we all agree on one thing. I don't care what you believe religiously or politically or socially or economically. We all have one thing in common. We all know beyond a shadow of a doubt there is something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. I just proved it. I just gave you guys headlines from one day and you all agreed that's part of the plan. Like, that's just normal. If I can tell you that it's normal and it's part of a plan, how much does that say about our own heart? There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with humanity. There's something wrong inside each and every one of us. And so the easiest thing to do for each and every one of us is to turn off the TV. It's to stop watching the news. It's to stop reading headlines in the paper. It's to stop looking at it so we don't have to think about it so much. So it's not so much in our face. And we can come together over this common thing of there might be something wrong with us. What then starts to divide us is how to fix it. Right? We can come together and be like, we all agree there's something going on that's wrong but when we really start to divide is when we say, this is how we fix it. And if everybody could just do this, if we could just all focus on racial reconciliation, we would be fixed. If we could all focus on environmental problems, we could be fixed. If we could all focus on the political problems in our country, we would be fixed. If we could all focus on insert anything in there. And that's what divides us. This week is a, a huge week in probably the world. I was sharing this week that um, I read an article that the new Avengers movie is slated to break every single box office record in the world the day it comes out. The very day it comes out. So that means more people are going to go see this movie than any other movie in history, which is my reason for justifying another pop culture reference on Easter. In the last movie, the thing that divided everybody and the, and the theme that, underli- that was underlying everything is the villain Thanos has a solution. He has this solution to everything wrong in the world because he looked out and he saw his planet was starving. There wasn't enough resources. There wasn't enough food. And he could see the end game of it being everyone was going to starve and die. They were going to be hurting and so he stepped in and had a radical solution. He said, let's kill half the population. Half of everybody needs to just die, and then there's enough resources. And those people that are left, they're going to live this great life. And of course, his planet's like, you're insane. But he believed in it so much, not only did he take this solution outside of his planet, he applied it to the galaxy. And he goes preaching his message, because that's what he really did, was he preached this message of what he thought was mercy, what he thought was compassion, because he said, if we just eliminated half the universe of people, then the other half that was here would have enough. This is his solution to the problem. Now, I use this as a reference because I don't want to call out any solutions that people may really think could be a solution to our problem is human condition that are out there. I call this out because can everybody see this is a bad guy? Clearly, this is something we don't agree with. Clearly, yet he really thought it was a solution and we divided over it. The solutions that we come up with as people differ so much from what God says a solution truly is, that it's so surprising when I say gospel and when I say good news, that it's anything other than what we can read in our headlines on a day-to-day basis. Good news is something that we desperately need. And so travel back with me a little over 2,000 years, and on this day, It was dark in the morning. Not just, you know, like Washington is dark in the morning because there's clouds and we live in the Northwest and it's dark, you know, if it's not the summer all the time. (laughs) But it's dark in spirit. It's dark in their hearts. It's so dark that the only person to come out in Jesus' entire extended family is Mary Magdalene and she's just desperate to be at the grave. She just misses Jesus so much that she just wants to be there to get closer to him because these people spent years of their life walking with somebody and we live in America. So this is foreign to us. We don't really walk with people. We don't spend every waking moment following with somebody if they're not our family. And even when they are our family, when they turn 18, we don't spend every waking moment with them because then they're, you know, millennials. I'm technically millennial, so I can say that. They stay home, right? They, they extended stay at home. That's not successful. We don't do that in America. But it's a very, very common thing for people to follow with one another and live their life together. And so the disciples and an extended group of people around Jesus spent years of their life eating, sleeping, dining, and traveling together. All the time, together, listening to Jesus. Thinking about the problems that was facing their area. Being so much a part of one another's lives that to be separate was an actual hurt on their heart. They walked together and they were so committed to Jesus as a person that on Good Friday, which we had, we just had a service at Gary and Holly's house on Good Friday. We went through the passion account. They were so committed to being with Jesus. One of them, Peter, when Jesus comes to him and says he wants to wash his feet and he wants to be with him. Jesus tells him, Peter, you're actually going to deny me. And Peter swears with an oath, Jesus, I will never deny you. That's so foreign from me. I will die before I deny you. And less than 24 hours later, he denies him three times. He was dedicated to Jesus And in their minds, Jesus was such the solution. He was so the king. He was going to bring everything good in the world. He was going to wipe out the headlines that you would read in Jerusalem daily at that time that were going to be horrible. And it was going to say, King Jesus on the throne, problem solved, everything's good. And the 12 of them were going to have like districts around Jerusalem and rule and reign together with Jesus. They believed, they found the solution to all the problems in the world, to all the problems in the country, to all the problems in the universe and in their spirits. They believed in Jesus that much. They believed in him so much that even when Jesus came to their faith and said, I'm going to die, they're going to crucify me. That Peter took him aside and rebuked him, which is really weird. I've always fascinated with that passage. Like, you believe in Jesus so much. Peter, you're the guy that said that you're Jesus, basically you're God. And in the same breath, he takes Jesus aside, which is Peter saying you're God, and, say, and rebukes him. I don't know how he thought that was going to work out, but it didn't work out well, because Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So in the same breath, Jesus says, Peter, you're amazing, and get behind me, Satan. That's why I love Peter so much, (laughs) right? He's weird like me, and I, I feel the same way sometimes. They believed in Jesus so much, they were so close to him, that when it actually happened, when the temple guards came and grabbed Jesus, took him in and put him on trial, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they crucified him, that everything that they knew was shattered. Everything that they banked their life on was shattered. Everything that they truly believed in was shattered. I can't tell you how dark it truly was in their hearts and life, because none of us has ever truly felt the exact same way. We feel darkness in ways, but we don't feel that darkness. Their entire everything had been shattered. And they were so despondent and it was so dark that they literally just stayed in a room together being depressed and wondering what was gonna happen next have you ever not wanted to get up like things were so bad that I just don't want to leave the room like I just have you ever woken up in the morning and things were so bad just like it literally if I get out of bed It is so much worse for me than if I just stay here. Like that's the feeling of the disciples. And the only one that would be, I don't know if it's brave enough, if it's the right word, but longed for Jesus enough is Mary Magdalene. And she goes to the tomb and she's not even expecting anything to really happen. She just goes there because she wants to be close. She wants to be with the memory of Jesus. She wants to be as close to the body as she possibly can. And then when she gets there, there's no stone, right? Jesus is laid in this tomb, like a cave carved out of a rock. And there's a giant stone in front of it, which is very typical for that time period. And she comes there just to be there. And there's a stone rolled away. And she's not thinking that this is good news. This is not good news to Mary. In fact, she's so thinking that this is bad news that she turns around, sees Jesus himself, and is so despondent, says, Wait a minute, where did you take his body? You rolled it away. She wasn't thinking that Jesus was resurrected. She's thinking that somebody stole his body to desecrate his remains. She's not anticipating good news. Sometimes I think we look something good in the face, and we in our hearts just can't bring ourselves to believe it. We can't bring ourselves to the place of this is actually good news because it's so counter into what we think should happen. I was, um, I was reading a couple of weeks ago this, this book about the differences between The conversation a husband and a wife have. And one of the differences is men tend to, and it's true for me, want to fix everything. Right? If I'm communicated a problem, I look at that problem, instantly analyze everything that's wrong with it, and then say, this is how we fix it. I'm going to provide you 15 different ways that we can fix the problem that's going on in front of you. And when the disciples, when Mary and everything were faced with this problem, they're thinking of different ways that they can fix the problem in front of us. And when we think today about things wrong with our hearts and with the world, we're thinking about a hundred different ways that we can fix it. Right? Countries at war, let's find a way to compromise. Economy's going bad, let's figure out a way to solve it. People are dying because of murder. Let's, let's figure out who to lock away. We have solutions to the problems that are in front of us. The problem with that is we assume that we do have the right solutions. We assume that what we're saying is correct in the first place. Um, I heard, I think it was C.S. Lewis say, the reason that we can't fix what's wrong with us is because we're on the inside of this great-grandfather clock, and we're like a gear that's fallen out and is down at the bottom, and everything's grinding together, and we, as this gear, look up and say, oh, if we just did this, 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 and this, we're not even qualified to talk about the place that's wrong. We're part of the problem. In fact, I would argue we are the problem. The only one that can solve the problem of this is the person that made the clock in the first place. It's only God. And so when we look at God's solution, when we see how he is going to rectify humanity, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to our minds. And so in this dark place, in this place of Mary trying to find solutions to the problem, of being close to him, of, Of us trying to figure out what's what's wrong, where does Easter fit into all this? We know the story. I mean the story of Jesus coming, God in flesh, and dying on the cross and rising three days later in America is is pretty prevalent. We know we know the story. But what does it truly mean to us? What does the empty tomb actually mean? The empty tomb, I love it. Dr. Um, Tim Erich says that Easter, the empty tomb, has always been carried to us on a river of tears. And it's so perfect that it does that. It so makes sense if you think about it in God's terms that it's carried to us on this river of tears because if it's not then we're denying our own humanity and what's wrong with us. If it's not carried on a river of tears, then God really doesn't understand us. If it's not carried on a river of tears, then we don't really have that much in common with Jesus. Only if it's carried to us on a river of tears can we identify with Jesus and what he went through because he reaches out and touches us. See, Jesus, God, was not content to just send us a solution, to just give us some kind of tablet and scroll to say, here's the 10 steps that you need to do to be saved. Here's the 10 things that you need to do to make everything in your world and your universe awesome. Here's the 15 steps or whatever it is to make it to me. God wasn't content to do that. He could have. He's God. He has every right to do whatever he wants. He could say, do this, 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 and you will be with me. You do this, 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 and you'll be perfect. But that wasn't his plan. God's plan was to walk with us. Remember I said the disciples walked with Jesus? And I talked to you about their world and what they thought and how close they were with Jesus and how much they banked on him. But the opposite is also true. Jesus came to walk with them. Jesus came to walk with us. The opposite of this is true. He wanted to be with us. He wanted to experience everything that it was to be human. He wanted to experience the sorrow. He wanted to experience the joys. He wanted to experience the problems. The pain. Everything that it means to be human, He wanted to experience it. He wanted to walk with people. And everything that we push off by being not close to people, Jesus brings in to say, I want to know it truer. I want to know it more. And I want to know it better than any other being in the history of the universe. Because I want to know people. And because Jesus knows us so well and walked with us and was faithful in that so well, he knows our tears. He knows what really hurts. He knows what it feels like to lose a friend. He knows what it feels like to lose people. He knows what it feels like to be persecuted, to be mocked. He knows what, he, Anything that you think is wrong, He knows. He knows all of that. And yet through all of those things, He was so dedicated to us that He went to Calvary, went to the cross and died for us. And one of the things that has always struck me about that passage is Jesus on the cross is dying in agony, and people are mocking him, right? There's some cultural mocks that we do, right? In America, it's mostly sarcastic. I'm guilty of this, being very sarcastic, right? Right? And in that culture, there was different things that were mocking. People would wag their heads and put out their tongues. It's, it's, it's different. Like if I was being sarcastic and somebody wagged their heads, it's the same thing. But people were doing that to Jesus as he's dying there. And he says one thing. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As he's dying on the cross, he extends himself all the more to us and we rejected him still. I always try to think of on Good Friday, if I, was, if I was there, what would I be doing? And overwhelmingly, we would be a part of the crowd that would be mocking. Overwhelmingly, we would be part of the crowd that would be jeering. It's just who we are. But through that, Jesus stays. And as he gives himself up to God and the sky gets dark and the veil is torn in the temple and everything happens, what possibly could be different than just a typical Roman execution to these people? Jesus wasn't the first person to be crucified. He certainly wouldn't be the last. It was very common. So what, what could be different about this? I love this quote by um, Dr. Walter Brueggemann. He says, God's most distinguishing characteristic is his ability to make something new. You see, if Easter's carried to us, if the empty tomb's carried to us on tears. The opposite, so far opposite, in fact, that it blows everything else out, that it just makes everything else almost untrue. All the pain, all the sorrow, anything you can think of going through, it makes it so much almost untrue because God makes this situation into the most hopeful situation that you can possibly find yourself in because the tomb's empty. And Jesus says, when the tomb is empty, it means it's finished. I've conquered death. I've actually solved the problem that you are all trying to solve yourselves. Because I'm God and I know it. I'm going to solve the problem for you. I'm going to give you hope. And the empty tomb means no matter what we're going through, no matter how dark we think it is, no matter what we think is going on in the world, no matter what headlines are there, we call it the gospel because it's good news and it means hope. See, when Mary is standing there looking Jesus in the face and he just, he speaks her, I I love that. He doesn't say, Mary, are you serious? Look at me. I'm I'm Jesus. You spent all this time with me. How do you not know who I am? He doesn't say that. He doesn't like look at her, like get close to her and be like, Mary. <laughs> Beard. Okay. Look, nail imprint, right? It's gee, He just says her name, just Mary. And she hears him. And it instantly takes, uh, can you just... I, I can't even fathom what, what it would be like to be in that situation, to be there mourning, to be there thinking that your everything was gone, that all hope was lost, and to be looking at that person in the face and he just speaks your name. I cannot fathom what that would mean. But Jesus says her name and instantly everything's undone. The crucifixion, the darkness, everything is gone because he's raised. Because he's standing there looking to her in the face. The darkness is gone. Not only is it gone, it's like it never even happened. Because the joy is so much more than the sorrow that she was feeling. And Jesus, because of the way he does this, We can actually go to him. We can actually go into those situations. We can actually take everything dark in our lives. We can take every situation that we think he might not understand, put it at his feet, and look at him and say, the tomb is empty, and he says my name. Because he wants to be with me. And he wants to be with you. He wants so much for you to understand that the solution not just to the world's problems but to your personal problem is not your own mind trying to fix it it's not going and, and being with people that you think are going to be good influences on your life it's not voting a certain way it's not giving your money to a certain thing it's not changing things about your life. It's not any of those things. It's simply walking with him and looking at the empty tomb, turning around and hearing him say your voice. Because instantly in that moment, all of the things that were wrong are new. God's most distinguishing characteristic is to make all things new. And that starts with our own hearts. It starts with God reaching into us to that place, the flawed thing that makes everything we kind of touch dirty, that makes everything we touch kind of corrupt in some way because we're something wrong with us. He reaches in and grabs that part and says, that's the part of you that I have identified with. That's the part of you that I came to be with. That's the part of you that I came to get intimately close with and I want to grab it touch it, and change it. You see, the empty tomb means that everything that we think when we look out into the world can be made new. All the darkness can be undone. The night turns to day. And in our world where we think that things are bad or we think that things are, are going crazy, right, it can bring, God can bring light into this. And it is his innate ability to do that that melts our heart, that takes this part of us that is so broken and is so hard and melts it into his hand. You see, God could do whatever he wanted to, to us. He could, he could stand here before you today and demand your allegiance he could stand here before you today. He could come down, stand right next to me, and we probably all die because of the glory, but let's just put that aside for right now. Okay? But he could come down and stand right next to me and just say, all of you are now slaves to what I say because I made every single one of you, and I am demanding your allegiance and love. He has every right to do that, but he doesn't do that. What does he do instead? Right? God is the, is the ultimate romantic. He's the ultimate romancer of humanity because he doesn't stand there and demand his way. He could, but he doesn't. God is the ultimate pursuer of people because he comes to us gently. Think about Christmas. He comes to us as a baby in the most unassuming, gentle, non-threatening way you could possibly come to us. Our our friends, Megan and Oscar, our family was was here last week with the baby. And, you know, it's this tiny little cute baby. And dad, Oscar's holding it, holding him in his arm just like this. And I was looking at his face and I'm like, it's the cutest little thing. It's like, you know, it's better than a puppy, of course. It's just, you know, you just want to hold a baby, hug a baby. It's got that baby smell. It's just amazing. But nobody's threatened by it. The kid's not a threat. It's, it's unassuming, and God comes to us in that way. He doesn't come in power and might and terror and all of those things. No, he comes to us in an unassuming form so that he can be with us. And then he lives his life in a way that is most intimate he can possibly be pursuing the least of us, pursuing those that we would consider farthest away from God. He intentionally spends his time with because he intentionally wants to spend time with you. God's the ultimate romancer of people. And then when he comes from the grave, he could stand there before the world and declare himself God. He could, he could take the grandest stage. And, and you know with social media now, if we went to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and everybody's there whipping out their smartphone, Facebook, living and Oh my gosh. He's a... But he didn't come at that time. He came at a time when he could stand up and speak to one person and just say her name. God is the ultimate romancer of people. And he's the ultimate romancer of us. He comes beckoning us to come to him. I'm going to have our worship team come up as we start to draw this to a close. But I, I have a question for... I have a question for us. When was the last time that you thought that your situation, that your life didn't matter to him? That God didn't he didn't really care that much. Like, God cares, right? Because if you go to church, you know God, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Loves me, as yes, I know, for the Bible tells me so. But if you've, maybe you haven't felt it in a while. Maybe you haven't been there and opened your heart and say, I, I, this is going to hurt, God, but I want to open myself to you. I want to look in. And see an empty tomb. I don't want to go and see a closed tomb with a stone there. I don't want to go and find extra guards there keeping me away from you. God, I want to go and I want to, I want to find an empty tomb. And I want to turn around and I want to see your face. And the only way I want to recognize you is I want you to say my voice. Say my name. Not my voice. Say my name. Because I want to hear you and I want to hear how much you care for me. You see, the empty tomb for us was not empty. It's filled, but it's filled with hope. Hope of the fact that God wants us and he wants you. He wants you more than your family wants you. He wants you more than your mom and dad wants you. He wants you more than your husband or wife wants you. He wants you more than any person can express that he wants you. He wants you so close to him and so bad that he was willing to endure pain, scorn, ridicule, and death just because he loves you. So pray with me now. And I'm going to ask God, Lord, would would you come now and touch our hearts? Would you come and help us to be aware of the feeling of the emotion of seeing an empty tomb and whatever our problem is, Lord, whatever we think is dark in our lives, whatever we think is there that, that you can't overcome. And we're just, we're going to try to get close to the problem, but we're not really believing it. Lord, let us come to an empty tomb. Let us see your face. Let us hear your voice. And Lord, I know that today there are some of us who have professed that we know you, but we don't really. There are some of us here that have maybe even gone to church most of our lives, but we've, it's been so long since we've heard you say our name. Lord, maybe there's... I know that there's people here that are just waiting to come to an empty tomb in their life and see your grace, see your love, and hear your voice, Lord. And I want to ask, just pray with me. Bow your heads, close your eyes. But if you're waiting for an empty tomb moment in your life, just raise your hand so we can pray with you. Are you waiting for an empty tomb moment? Are you waiting for God to hope? Raise your hand with me. Because I'm waiting for an empty tomb moment. I'm waiting for God to say my name. Amen as we get ready to close and respond to this time, to this message, to this Easter morning, I'm asking if you need, if you recognize and see you need him, that you commit this time in your heart, that you commit this time in your mind to say, God, I, I'm here. I'm here and I know you want me. And I open myself to you now. Lord, reach in and touch me and grab me and melt my heart towards you. Let me see just who you are. If that is you today, we pray for you and we let you know right now, Jesus stands in your midst and says your name. We lift these things up and we pray in Jesus' name and every heart said, Amen.